Holy Father, we pray that you would use us as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our spiritual worship, by the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. When we think of stewardship, brace yourself, this is a stewardship sermon, so now's the time to go ahead and open up your crossword puzzle on your phone or whatever else it is that you want to look at. But this year is a little bit different. I don't know if you noticed. I want us to think when we think of stewardship in terms of time, talent, and treasure. More often than not, it's the treasure that gets the most attention. I've even been to a church that had a thermometer in the narthex gauging the pledges with a sign next to it that said, it costs $25,000 a month to run this church, exclamation point. I would bet that the thermometer never reached its goal. Because that's not stewardship, that's bill creation, a payee-payer scenario. It's a focus on money not on mission. An image that we have used around here over the past year, given to us by our Australian friends, is that of a trellis and a vine. And Colin Marshall, who's a minister in the Diocese of Sydney, said that he was sitting on his back porch one night and he noticed two trellises in his backyard and how different they were. One trellis was beautiful. It was well-made, the wood was great, it was right up against the wall where it was supposed to be. It was painted this vivid federal green color. There's just one problem, there was no vine on it. Now, somebody had spent a lot of time building that trellis and maybe ran out of time to plant a vine. Maybe there had been a vine there, but it wasn't tended to and it died. He didn't know, but there was another trellis in his backyard that was covered with jasmine. Uh, The flowers produced a beautiful fragrance, but it became so unruly that the trellis had begun, begun to separate itself from the wall, and parts of it were breaking off, and it had been a long time since the wood had been changed. And he realized that this was a great image of the church and its mission, that there are many churches that have a beautiful structure, that have all the resources all the strategies, and yet never get around to growing a vine. Likewise, there are churches where the ministry is so out of control that they neglect the trellis itself. And so the vine doesn't have an adequate support structure to grow and to thrive. Well, there's no doubt that we have a beautiful trellis at the Advent but we're also tending a growing and thriving vine. Well, what does vine work look like? Well, in a word, it is the work of the gospel. We read in in Romans chapter 10, beginning with the 13th verse, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing 
through the word of Christ. The vine work is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God himself became incarnate in flesh, lived a perfect life, died in our stead upon a cross, and God the Father raised him from the dead so that we might have fellowship with God, a relationship with him, our sins might be forgiven, or better yet, remitted, that they might be taken as far away as the east is from the west, and the very Holy Spirit of God has come to reside in our hearts so that our hearts now cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. That is the gospel message, full stop. I've heard some people say to me, well, your life is the only Bible that some people may read. Or they misquote St. Francis, who never said this, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. I'm only going to speak for myself, but if my life is the only Bible some people might read, we are in big trouble. Because it's a false book. Now, of course, we want our lives to be a testimony to Jesus Christ, but that alone is lacking. People come to know Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the spoken word. We actually have to speak it. We have to hear it. We appropriate it. That's why if you get on our website or any printed material, this is what you'll read. Excuse me. The Advent is a gospel-centered church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace, evident in any of our programs and ministries, holding to what the letter of Jude calls the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This gospel focus finds the cross and resurrection of Jesus ever and only at the center. So if there's any room for us, we echo the message of John the Baptist that he must increase and we must decrease. Everything that we do ought to point to Jesus and his saving work. And out of this daring confidence in the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, which we have a heart for, the Advent has a heart for those who haven't heard the gospel. A heart for those who have been burned by the church. And a heart for the city of Birmingham. Now, I didn't make these up. When I came to the Advent and had some time here as an assistant, this is what I observed. This is just what we do. It's not a strategy. It's an identity. It's who we are, how our ministries are lived out. Yes, we have this confidence in the gospel, which impels us to go out and tell others of Jesus' saving love. And I admit, that's difficult to do sometimes. People will come up to me, and they'll want to have a spiritual conversation, and I'm thinking, Lord, take me now. Just, let's go. I'm just not in the mood. And yet, when I think what God has done for me, What Jesus has done for me in saving, where would I be and what would my life be like without his grace and his mercy? What would my life look like apart from Jesus Christ? And I shudder to think what that is. And so why wouldn't I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? And not just our family and our friends, but even to the very ends of the earth. But the Advent for the longest time has also had a heart for those who have been burned by the church. 
Several months ago, I preached a sermon, and I was actually startled by the 11, you 11 o'clockers. I don't know if that's, you know that's what we call you. You're 11 o'clockers. Uh, and 9 o'clockers, and, and then 7.30, we don't even call them anything but crazy, because they're just it's so early. Uh, <laughs> Jesus isn't even up uh, in time for that service. So, but when I asked how many of you grew up in a tradition, or no tradition at all, outside of the Episcopal Church, but now find a home here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, nearly 80, if not 90% of you raised your hands, which was startling to me. And not all of you, but some of you have a testimony of growing up in a tradition where you thought that your relationship with God was dependent upon you. So long as you kept God's law and you were good, God would bless you. If you didn't keep God's law, he wouldn't bless you. And then you came to the Advent and you heard the gospel message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, full stop. That your relationship with God, frankly, has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. His love for you is one way, and it's given to you without any sense of reciprocity. He just loves you out of his mercy and his grace. And when you hear that message, especially if you've lived under the burden of the law, your chains fall off and your voice begins to sing because your life is now different in light of who you are because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did. But we've also had a heart for the city of Birmingham. Uh, We were founded right alongside the city of Birmingham in 1872. And someone asked me, why is it that the Advent doesn't have a program or a strategic structure for reaching the city and being involved in the city? And yet you're a city with a heart for the gospel or a church with a heart for the city. And I said, because we don't have to. Because what happens here is that Jesus gets a a hold of your heart and then in joyful response to him, you begin to care about the welfare of the city. We don't have to create a program because you go out and you become a part of the symphony board. You work at the botanical gardens. You care about architectural preservation. You start a Bible study in your place of work. Because we know, as Jeremiah 29 says, when we seek out the welfare of the city, there will we find our own welfare. When Jesus changes our hearts, it gives us a heart for the city that we live in. We begin to care in ways that we never did before. Now, I can tell you all that the Advent is doing, but this morning, I'd rather show you. Now, I know some of you gasped when you saw the screen and thought, where are we going with this? But, you know, if I showed highlights from the Alabama and Auburn games, y'all would have thought it was the best idea since sliced bread. (laughs) But I am here to show you uh, just what the Advent is up to and what stewardship means. When you give of your time, talent, and treasure at the Advent, it means changed lives. Well, it goes without saying that we've got 2,000 Bibles that we've been giving away since uh, early summer, 
And the idea, and it goes right hand in hand with who we are, is to get a Bible in everybody's hands, that they might have the Word of God, easy access, in an attractive form with these leather-bound Bibles. When the St. Thomas Choir of boys and men came to visit us some months ago, the boys were hovering around the table and sort of grazing up against the table in the way that I would graze up against the shelves as a young boy at 7-Eleven, hoping they didn't see me steal that piece of gum. Uh, and in the same way, I finally looked at them and I said, you know, they're free. You can have one. Well, the few that were around the table quickly grabbed some and went over to their classmates and they came over, all of them, and could not believe that we were going to give them a free Bible because they didn't have one. They actually didn't have that immediate access to the Word of God. And so giving those Bibles out uh, helped get the gospel uh, into those boys' lives in a much more accessible way. Many of you know Sam and Jackie Mugisha and their daughter Sam was with us for about a year and uh, many of you uh, probably have heard by now that Sam has been elected the Bishop of Shira Diocese in the Anglican Church of Rwanda, uh, which is a remarkable thing because it's not very often that the Advent produces uh, a bishop. Uh, someone uh, fearfully asked Lauren, well, I'm just afraid Andrew's going to get elected bishop somewhere one day. And my wife smiled and said, there's a chance he could become Bishop of Narnia, but that's about it. <laughs> Well, Sam and Jackie have gone to Shira Diocese, and we've developed a partnership with them, and Adventers have been over there. <clears throat> bishop Laurent Mbanda there, the current bishop, and will be for the next year or so until Sam takes over. But it's amazing to go over there and to see what they are able to do with almost nothing. Because when you have Jesus, and he's all you have, it's everything. In fact, uh, recently I was talking with Bishop Mbanda when he was in town last week, and the recent statistics for the Episcopal Church came out, and one of the ones that stuck out to me is that only 4% of Episcopal churches in the United States have an average Sunday attendance of 300 or more. Only 4%. So I have asked Bishop Mbanda, how many churches in your diocese have an average Sunday attendance of 300 or more? All of them. All of them. And so we're investing in their pastors, translating curriculum into Kirawanda so that they can be equipped to go out into and serve the church. This is a pastor's school that the Advent helped make happen. The Advent helped make this happen by God's grace. Many of you have seen the eggs, these beautiful children. Shira Diocese has a preschool program that enrolls over 26,000 children. That's a lot of three-year-olds. And they get an egg a day, which may be the only protein that they get all day. But more than not that, they're brought to these schools in order to hear of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ so that they might receive him and know him as Lord and Savior and therefore come to love him and to serve him all the days of their life. A remarkable ministry. Our support of the persecuted church of refugees, especially from the Syrian and Iraqi wars. We've been helping host discipleship groups in Beirut. And here's a photograph of one of them in house churches that are springing up amongst the refugee community as the Holy Spirit of God works. Our Lenten lunches, which have been going on for over 100 years. Can you imagine eating tomato aspic for over 100 years? Uh, well, we, we have. And, uh, and it is a remarkable ministry because we gather preachers from all over the world. 
Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and yet we're united in the gospel. So when they stand in this pulpit, we look up and regardless of what their background is, we say, that's my brother and sister in Christ. That's who we are in ministry with. And by God's mercy, we will continue that. Francis is a ministry partner, a missionary that we have in Malawi. And here he is presenting Bibles to uh, one of his congregants there. We've raised up our own missionaries like Elizabeth Elliot, who has served in Nicaragua. Closer to home, our ministry to the poor with Firehouse Shelter, Brother Brian Mission, and Empower Ministries. We've been involved with Habitat for Humanity, building houses, Amistad Mission in South America, as well as closer to home, investing in future leaders in the church through Beeson Divinity School, providing scholarships for those training for pulpit ministry. Our Wednesday morning outreach Bible study to our homeless community downtown. Our Thursday morning worship services, which if you've never been to one, I would encourage you to come. They're on Thursday mornings at 8.30. Also, what we do here on Sunday in and out of the year, uh, our worship, especially our choir that proclaims to us the gospel message in song, Restoration Academy, Sawyerville Day Camp. I don't know if you know about this ministry down in the Black Belt of Alabama. Uh, the Advent is the largest single supporter of this ministry where there's not just an education program, but getting the gospel, uh, letting them know of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ as well as our own vacation Bible school that ministers to our children, as well as to those around the Birmingham area. Our partnership with Holy Cross Trustful, uh, which has been long-standing, but a struggling congregation with great potential that we've adopted. And I'm very happy to say that they'll be calling, uh, they'll be having their new rector show up in November. Wes Sharp and his wife and kids will be coming from Central Florida, uh, a godly man, a gospel preacher, and a real answer to prayer. But we're beginning to see the fruit of that investment, that tending of the vine, happening there in Trustful. Our children in our youth ministry, which many of you can lay testimony to, but even beyond that, the Advent started some years ago under Cameron Cole's leadership, a ministry called Rooted, uh, which seeks to advance grace-driven youth ministry throughout the church. So the Advent is now an international resource for youth ministries around the world. Well, these are just a few of the ministries. I know that I've left some a lot out, but we could be here all week going over this. But when the Advent was founded in 1872, in 1873, we built a wood frame church here that sat 200 people. And 20 years later, we built the church that we now sit in. Before the pews in the front were taken out, we were able to seat 800 people. So in 20 years' time, we went from a 200-seater to an 800-seater. And that wasn't because it was filled, but because the Adventers then had caught the gospel ministry and were looking to the future. You are the fruit of their labors. I'm sure there were many back in 1893 who thought, why are we building a church this big? We'll never fill it. And yet, here we are today as inheritors of that ministry. And so, friends, 
we see that in the history of our church, not just today, but over the many years, God not only ordains the ends, he ordains the means. In his mercy, he uses us, you and I, to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. That's why Paul says in our reading this morning, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There is no investment too big or too small in the kingdom of God and how God has used us here at the Advent. This morning, have you been captivated by the love of God? Do you know what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? If you do, then you see that your investment in time, talent, and treasure means people's lives are changed forever. And so, yes, we maintain our trellis, but we get to work tending the vine of the gospel that it might grow and grow and grow. We have this confidence in God's grace. We have a heart for the person and work of Jesus Christ, a heart for those who haven't heard the gospel, a heart for those who have been burned by the church, and a heart for the city of Birmingham. And by God's grace and mercy, he calls you and me into the vineyard, laborers, to be used to take his gospel to our friends, our family, and our neighbors. And so I hope that you will join me this stewardship season, in fact, every day of your lives, to pray about how is God calling you to use your time, talent, and treasure for our good, for the good of the city of Birmingham, for the good of Alabama, for the good of the world, but above all, for his great glory. Amen.